Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Daniel, chapter 5. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Atheist, what does it mean? A means without. Take a note, A means without. Theist means God. Atheist means without God. The person who claims to be an atheist is saying that I have explored every avenue of every dimension and I have found that there is no God. This is what an atheist would be saying. And an agnostic, we've all met them. Agnostic, A meaning what, saints? Without, and gnos meaning knowledge. This is where an agnostic means without knowledge. This is where we get the word moron. (laughs) So if a person says, I'm an agnostic, they are saying, I know nothing and I'm a moron. (laughs) Well, you know, I'm an agnostic. Oh, okay, well then you know nothing and you're a moron. What you talking about, man? No, I'm just saying by definition, that's what you said. I'm just repeating what you said. That's all. I mean, don't hit me. That's all. Get violent. I'm just telling you what you said. You just said you know nothing and that you're a moron. The fact is, if you don't believe in God, then you have to suppress the knowledge of God. The women are going through the book of Romans right now. And in the book of Romans, it says just that, that those who don't believe in God refuse to believe in God because they suppress the knowledge of God. The truth is, is that God reveals himself to every person, period. What about the pygmies in Africa? God reveals himself to them. Don't worry about the pygmies in Africa. What about you? How do you know that, Rodney? Because the Bible says that God reveals himself in nature, for the visible things are clearly seen. So when you look at a tree, no, the tree isn't God. But when you look at the tree, you have to understand that the tree came from somewhere, that, that if there is a creation, there must be a creator. If you got a watch, there has to be a watchmaker. You got some shoes, there must be a shoemaker, a cobbler. The shoe didn't just show up. Say amen if you know what I'm talking about. It didn't just show up. You got to have a creator behind every creation. And for you to reject that means you are suppressing the knowledge of God. The reality is just because you don't believe in God does not mean that God does not exist. And so you don't believe in God. Hey, God is look around. Look at the mountains. How can you stand on the beach? How can you stand on the beach and not know and not say, wow. Hey, look at that. That's amazing. That's awesome. How are you going to stand at the foot of the mountain and look up and go, wow. What kind of sense did it make? You look up at the mountain and go, wow. I'm so glad you just created yourself. Wow. I'm so glad the sea just showed up. Wow. Look at my family. I'm sure glad they came from primordial ooze. (laughs) 
Well, I don't know, maybe some of them, but <laughs> some of y'all probably wonder, where did you come from? <laughs> How does it happen? Because you suppress the knowledge of God. Enough of that. Look at verse 10. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came to the banquet hall. The queen spoke, saying, O king, live forever. Everybody's always buttering up the king. Don't let your thoughts trouble you, nor let your countenance change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God. That's a way to say that Daniel, that's what we're talking about, was filled with the spirit. He was a man of God. And in the days of your father, that word actually is ancestor, ancestor, family members, In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him, it almost sounds like she's saying, your father, your father the real king. You know, he's a real king. Uh, Made him chief of the magicians and the astrologers, the Chaldeans and the soothsayers, inasmuch as an excellent spirit. Knowledge, understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles, explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will give you the understanding. So the queen, this queen is the queen mother. She's not uh, uh, Nabonidus' wife. Uh, She's the, 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 the queen mother. She's the daughter of King Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar's grandfather. We talked about that. Now, remember in chapter four, this is kind of interesting here. Remember in chapter four, Nebuchadnezzar realized that there was one true and living God in heaven and he became a believer. It is very possible, very possible because this, this woman is, is his daughter. Very possible that this daughter became a worshiper of God. Also, you want to notice she wasn't at that party. She wasn't at the party. And not only that, but she was also still in contact with Daniel. So it's very possible that she also, because remember Nebuchadnezzar was trying to turn the kingdom around until Nebuchadnezzar came and tried to make it pagan again. And for a little while he did, but he died. We'll find out. And so it's very possible that she became a believer. She remembered Daniel and she said, listen, Bill, there's a man in the kingdom. His name is Daniel. And your grandfather used him to interpret dreams. She says, why don't you give him a call and bring him in? And so they call for Daniel. Daniel comes in. Daniel was about 85 or 90 years old about this time. Isn't it interesting to you? I know it is to me. Whenever the world, you know, generally the world doesn't want to hear anything about Christians, God, or anything, you know, related to Christianity, until something tragic happens. Isn't that true? When something tragic happens, then people want to call upon God or fill up the churches. Remember 9-11? 9-11, the churches across the country were filled with people. And that lasted for about three weeks. We saw attendance go from here, from here at Calvary, from here to here. And I knew it. I thought, you know what, just give it about three, four weeks. We'll see. And sure enough, three, four weeks later, you know, people forget so quickly. But when tragedy strikes, what happens? 
People want to call upon God. Belshazzar, he has a tragedy now. What does he want to do? He, he needs to call upon God. And, and, and the queen mother comes in and says, hey, get Daniel. Get Daniel. It's true in your life as a Christian, true in my life. How, how many times have people, you know, um, you know, it makes me think when I was in the military. I remember people used to mock me because I, I was one of those guys that carried my Bible everywhere I went. I always had my Bible. I keep my Bible in my car. The Bible said, hey, this is the sword of the spirit, okay? If I get in battle, I need to have a sword with me. Because when you're in the midst of the battle, it's no time to go run and get your Bible. You need to have it available. So I always thought that way. And I was in the military, too, so I just took my whole military mentality right on into my Christian life. You know what I mean? I was a soldier for Jesus, you know? And so, you know, so I always had my Bible with me and people used to mock me all the time. Oh, don't talk about so-and-so. Here come Rodney. You know what I mean? Oh, well, you know, they, oh, they're cursed and they go, oh, excuse me, Mr. Religious Man is around. You know what I mean? And then after a while, you know, they, they actually, I remember they gave me, a, uh, they used to call me Deacon. They, you know, deacon. They gave me a nickname then, which actually I thought I wasn't insulted. I thought I was growing in respect personally. You know what I mean? I mean, look, hey, it, it used to be, you know, Christian freak person. And then it went to deacon. So I was graduating in their minds, I guess. And um, so people, you know, they want to mock you and they want to mock God and and those kinds of things. When tragedy happens, they, they come to you and they say, hey, why don't you pray for me? Would you pray for me? Hey, my mom is sick. You want to, you know, hey, Rodney, you know, hey, Deacon, you got, you know, you got a relationship with the man upstairs, big kahuna. You know, would you uh, mind, uh, you know, throwing up a word for me? You know what I mean? You know, I go, sure, man, no problem. I'm glad to do it. But see, when tragedy strikes, people call upon the true and living God. And I believe that God has seasons for people. I really do. I believe God has seasons for people to come to know him. And God, you know what? I call this divine setups. God is always setting folks up. They, they don't realize it. I mean, how many people got saved and, and you didn't even know you were getting saved? But now that you look back, you think, man, God was setting me up the whole time. God was setting me up. I ran into this guy here and he talked about Jesus. And then I saw him again and he's talking about Jesus. Then I saw him again, you know, two weeks later, he's talking about, see, God was setting me up until that one night he said, hey, come go to church with me. And I went to church. God was setting me up. The pastor said, come down. I ran out of our blubber and snot and everything. Ah, Jesus, I need Jesus. And I gave my life to Christ. God was setting me up and there's a season for everyone. And God is always, you know, leading people. And even when they don't listen to God for a while, you know, when life happens and when pain happens and when tragedy strikes, God will then get their attention. And he'll use you to get their attention. God will use you to help lead them and, and guide them in the right direction. See, God has a season for all of those things. That's why, and you never know when that season's going to be. You never know when God is going to be using you. So that's why you got to be ready. You know, you're standing in Harris Teeter at the magazine rack waiting to pay for your baked beans. And somebody behind you, they look at the newspaper rack and they go, you know, these, what's going on in the world today? And what is the world coming to? You just turn around and say, well, I'm glad you asked. And <laughs> Hey, well, do you know that Jesus died for the sins of the world? Do you know the man upstairs, want to get saved right now before you check out? Do it here. 
Right now. Come on. Don't wait. Today. Today. God is the season, so we just got to be ready. Now, in verse 13 through 16, you read that in your own time. <laughs> Daniel comes before the king, and, and I'll just tell you, because we, we can move on. Daniel comes before the king and, and is told of the situation that the king offered him, all, offers all the rewards and the positions and the gifts. Look at verse 17. Then Daniel answered, and, and he said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing of the, for, to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom. And here he's giving the interpretation. He gave, the, he gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. And because of the majesty that he gave him, all peoples, nations, languages trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up. And whomever he wished, he put down. But his heart was lifted up in pride, and his spirit was hardened in pride. And he was disposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. Read chapter 4 if you want to know more about that. And then he was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like the beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven. Till he knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints over it whomever he chooses. But you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this. And you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. They have brought the vessels of his house before you and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk the wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze, iron, wood, stone, which do not see or hear or know. And the God underlined this saints and the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways. You have not glorified. You go, Daniel. He's 85 years old, at least, maybe 90. And he's not afraid of the king. He's not afraid. He's not trying to butter up the king, make him feel all warm and fuzzy. No. Daniel comes in before the king. He's probably pretty upset because he just profaned the holy things of God. And notice he doesn't say king live forever. Daniel says, keep your gifts, keep your money, give it to someone else. I can't be bought and I'm not for sale. Let me just tell you the interpretation. And then Daniel said, Belshazzar, you have been rebellious, idolatrous, blasphemous, prideful, and arrogant. And you didn't learn anything from what your grandpa Nebuchadnezzar went through. And by the way, the God that you are mocking holds your breath in his hands. In verse 23. You see, Belshazzar, he thought he was a captain of his own ship. And I'm amazed at how many people think they're the captain of their own ship. When's the last time you, you, you kept your heart beating? God holds a breath in your breath. When you sleep, you're not in control. God's in control. And when you sleep, you're not controlling your breath and making your chest rise and fall and your lungs work and your heart work and your kidneys work. It's God who's doing all this. You're not the captain of your own ship. You're not the captain of your own soul. You are not in control of your life. 
And this is the message we hear in our culture today. You are in control. You are in control. You control your destiny. You control your life. That's just not true. It is God who holds. It's in him that we live and we move and we have our being. You're not the captain of your own soul. It was William Henry who wrote Invictus. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole. I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeoning of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade. And yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. You know, Timothy McVeigh, that was his last statement before he died. No, you're not the captain of your own soul. God is the God who holds our breath. And should God at any moment decide to take back his breath, he can do that. Because he is God and you are not. And do you realize that's some of the deepest theology you could ever learn? That God is God and I'm not him. I don't know more about the Bible. I tell you what, get a hold of that. And then move forward. God is God and we're not him. And he can take his breath any time he wants because it's his. Life belongs to him. Spirit belongs to him. And he can just say, that's it. Tonight, that's it. Belshazzar didn't even know. And he didn't even know. And this is his last night on the earth. October 12, 539 B.C. is his last night on the earth. And he didn't even know. Oh, fool. You didn't even know. Hmm. And so look at verse uh, 25. And, and, and this is the, interpret- the inscription. Now, you've got to understand something. It's not that they couldn't read the words. The words were written in Aramaic, and that's the language that they spoke. They could read the words. They didn't understand the meaning. They couldn't wrap their mind around what it meant. It wasn't like the words were, um, you know, written in some language that they couldn't understand You understand? They just couldn't understand the meaning. Here's the inscription that was written. Meeny, meeny, miny, mo. No, no, I'm sorry. Um, That's that's in my Bible. Oh, wait. Oh, I need glasses. Okay. Uh, Meeny, meeny. Meeny, 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 meeny. That's fun to say. Meeny, meeny. Tekel, you farsen. This, in verse 26, is the interpretation of each word. Meaning, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command and they clothed Daniel with purple and put a chain around his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. And that very night, Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, was slain 
and Darius the Mede received the kingdom being 62 years old. Before you close your Bible, notice one moment a party hall, the next moment eternity in hell. The verdict, meeny, meeny, tekel, euphorsen, meeny, meeny, number your kingdom. That's what it means. Or your number is up, buddy. That's what it means. Tekel, your number is up and your weight is down. Weighed in the balance and found wanting. In other words, you're a lightweight is what he's saying. You might think you're important in the eyes of the world, but you're a lightweight on the scales of heaven. Therefore, in verse 28, Perez is the singular for Eupharsin. It means divided. Your kingdom shall be divided and given to the Medes. Now, I gave you the date, October 12th, 539 B.C. At the moment, get this, at the moment that Daniel is standing there telling the king what the handwriting meant, the Medes and the Persians, under the leadership of King Cyrus, were several miles upstream, diverting the Euphrates River, and they reduced the water to thigh high so the soldiers could march into the city. The Euphrates River was protected by two iron gates. They got through the first gate. And so they kept moving into, there was actually two walls. There was the, a really thick wall, that 300 feet high. And then there's another wall. And they got through the second gate of this walled city. And that second gate was opened by someone who committed treason. Now, if Belshazzar would have known the Bible, he would have known and recognized the name Cyrus. Please, three minutes, take your Bibles, Isaiah chapter 44. Turn quickly, Isaiah 44. You got to see this. This is going to blow your mind. This is going to blow your mind. Isaiah 44. See, if, I, if Belshazzar would have known his Bible, he would have known this verse. Or these verses, look at Isaiah 44 and, and, and look at verse uh, 28, Isaiah 44, verse 28. If you're there, say amen. In verse 28, it says, who says of Cyrus? He is my shepherd. This is God talking. Cyrus, he is my shepherd and he shall perform all my pleasure, saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built and to the temple, your foundation shall be laid. Look at verse one of chapter 45. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to who saints? Cyrus, whose right hand I have held to subdue nations before him and to loose the armor of the kings. Look at this, to open before him the double doors. So that the gates will not be shut. I will go before you, Cyrus, and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that you may know that I, the Lord, who call you by your name, am the God of Israel. This is fascinating. This is absolutely fascinating. These prophecies about Cyrus were written, get this, 200 years before this event takes place where Cyrus actually takes the city. This prophecy was actually written, spoken, foretold before Cyrus was even born. God even names names. 
God said, the guy who's going to defeat the Babylonian kingdom, his name is Cyrus. 200 years later, this came to pass. We serve an awesome God. Amen, saints? And I'll tell you something. You, boy, this ought to really boost your faith. This ought to boost your faith that God is so accurate, predicts the future to the T of what is happening. He gives a man's name 200 years before it happens. And then in Josephus Antiquities, it says 16 days after the conquering of the city, Daniel walks up to Cyrus and shows him Isaiah 44 and 45 that was spoken 200 years before he was born. That he, and, and, and Cyrus was seized Josephus says he was seized by holy desire to fulfill what was written of him. And he made a decree that the Jews should return to Jerusalem and build the temple 70 years after their captivity, just like God said. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch, in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.